December 18, 2020. It's a Watt for Pedro show.
Watch the Pedro Show. Happy Friday. Uh, it's my last Friday as a 62-year-old. We started a show off with Celia's song flute, the alternate tape from the album, John Coltrane. Uh, and then Dolan Mendel Wong was solely pliable. And uh, Brother Matt at the Love Grotto, a couple miles south, pleasure point here because we're in quite quarantino mode, but I am not totally man-alone, people. Because due to the miracles of those Estonian software engineers with their righteous Skype invention, I got Joe Wong with me from Pasadena. Welcome aboard, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Nice to be here. Now that, uh, Dolan, Mendel, and Wong, power trio, really yes. good, really good. Uh, I don't know Thank what, you. I don't know what time that was from in your journey, but... Can we go all the way back? I'm in, I think Milwaukee days, maybe. Like your earliest, sure. mu- your earliest musical recollection, please, Joe. Uh, it was listening to records on my uh, plastic Fisher Price turntable uh, as a child um, in my bedroom. Uh, so it goes all the way back. It's in, intermingled with my earliest recollections of life. Whoa. Uh, now, those records that you were playing on this Fisher Price, <laughs> I guess yeah. it was a step up from the clothes and play. Remember that? <laughs> and then a stylus like a nail. It would ruin your records like with five plays. I think it was probably on par with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, th- what were the records? I- I'm curious. What did the what fed that player? What, where, where the records? Well, you know, the pop, the pop music of the day. You know, I was born in 1980, so Michael Jackson was huge. So I was obsessed with him at first. And then, you know, Motown from there and the Beatles and just, you know, pop music. Uh, my parents listened to lots of singer-songwriter stuff from the 70s, like Carole King and uh, Neil Diamond, things like that. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't till a, about a decade later that I started becoming aware of your work and, and the universe that surrounded it. But um, at that time on my Fisher Price stereo, it was, you know, whatever I heard on the radio or on television. So so you would go back. What, what was the first record you bought with your own money? Um, it was probably uh, not a, not a full album. I would buy cause singles because that was the, <laughs> sure. the era. But like probably like a Tom Petty cause single. Okay. With my own money. Yeah, because I um, asked that because you know when you're a kid you ain't got much money. So what are you going to spend it on? You know. Right. Um, well, when I got my first my first job was as a golf caddy at a country club when I was 11, and that was around the time that I started to discover say like the Minutemen and, and all the bands on SST because I kind of discovered them retroactively through what was popular at that time, which was, you know, the alternative rock stuff on television and the radio. And then some of those bands cited Black Flag, Minutemen, Descendants or whatever, Dinosaur Jr. as influences. And I discovered SST. And so one round of golf would yield me $12, which would yield me two LPs from the uh, catalog at that point. <laughs> so that's when I really started buying lots of records was around age 11. You know, another cat in the music racket that uh, first job was golf caddy. 
Who? Egg. In, in oh, Solani, wow. Because he, he told me the trailer he grew up in with his parents was right across from a course, right? But he said it ended up ruining his fucking hip because in those days the, the, the clubs were really heavy. And carrying that yeah, fucking I mean, sack. I, yeah, yeah. I remember if I, I was a little kid, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I hadn't even really gone through puberty at that point. And it was heavy, you know, especially if I was carrying two bags, to, uh, you know, which was a way to earn double money, but it was almost too heavy for me to even carry at that point. <laughs> Slinging the heavy load. Uh, so let's get back to the pad. Was there any instruments or were your parents just listeners? My parents were casual listeners. Um, and uh, when I was six, we got a piano because I asked uh, if I could start playing piano and my parents accommodated me. They were very supportive and uh, I started playing piano. Um, and then in, in grade school, uh, we had access to orchestra and band instruments. So a, a little bit later on, I started playing violin and, and clarinet, um, which was fun, but it was the, the fact that it was in that academic setting made it a little bit less uh, relevant to what I was listening to. And then when I was 11, I started playing drums. There was a guy that lived a couple blocks away from me that taught me drums. And, um, and that was like my vehicle into the world. And it felt like I could participate in playing music rather than just studying it or listening to it. Can, can I ask you about the piano experience? Did you have a teacher? I did. Her name was Mrs. Saylor. And how was the experience? Was it good one or bad one? It was kind of neutral. I mean, she was perfectly pleasant, uh, and I had I had an aptitude for it, but it didn't. Uh, I, I didn't get visceral joy out of it in the way that I would when I would listen to records or later when I was playing drums, or even when I was in orchestra at school. I can remember feeling that joy in in my body, um, just playing music with other people in a room, but piano felt more academic. So it wasn't, uh, it was, it's, it was useful ultimately to, to have some of that background, but it wasn't, um, a creative experience right away. Well, at least it didn't make you hate music. I've had people on the show where it was bad experience. And yeah, it usually, absolutely. It usually depended no, it was, on the teacher. It wasn't like that. It didn't feel like an obligation or something that I wanted to shy away from. But on the other hand, it, it wasn't super inspiring either. Okay. What was the first gig you went and saw? The Monkees reunion tour in 1987. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> and then um, a couple of years later, my parents took me to a Wings concert. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think Jim O'Rourke told me his first gig was Paul McCartney and Wings. And his what about mom, you? What was the first gig you saw? Uh, oh, me and D Boone. I went with D Boone to see my first gig. It was T Rex. Oh, that's great. We were fourteen, and uh, yeah, everybody says that. <laughs> I, I, did they only tour the U.S. once, or did they? Tour uh, it was here a couple a times. times. They weren't that popular. You're right. They had one big hit, uh, a banging gong. Yeah, and. Uh, it was at the Long Beach Auditorium. It's where they uh, filmed a lot of Don Kirsters. So Jim O'Rourke, to get back to his, his Wings gig, his mom didn't want him to go. She fucking dumped a bowl of spaghetti over his head. He went to the gig with spaghetti in his fucking hair. No. <laughs> wow. 
Arr. That's an interesting <laughs> tactic to, to dissuade you from going to a concert. It didn't stop, though. No. Yeah. It didn't stop. Me. Look, I, I want to play here sleeping.
Everyone has complicated pleasures, but me and my baby, we like driving. Wait for the snow to hold the earth still. Wheels walk on frozen water, dance elegantly sliding. A Land Rover named Discovery, countryside blanketed. Sunday spent between sheets, bedroom extended. We always put this in second. We're always light racing. Drive so fast, I fear upturning. You tell me, just roll. No braking. Failed all your GCSEs, you prayer bent snowdrift. Pushed to the side of the road, still moving. My beautiful risk. But now you paused in grayscale, photographic. Teaching me to be gale blown, I'm always so anchored. Body burning diesel, brain can't afford it. Mind reversing over matter, you tell me you're so tired. Yet out here, all is frozen. Take me anywhere. No direction, we're not lost, we're going nowhere. Bodies plattered between landscape and sky. You paused the day when you said the night doesn't always have to fall, sometimes it can fly.
the truth He sold the boys in the back room Well, it looks like they sold him To you And you give him the power to get things done Hey, 
She's laid out in Barbados, waiting in the sun. That's the way the railroad runs, yeah.
And are you talking about like the genre defines the person? That that or like yeah, like that you would project something of yourself onto the artist that you liked and project that back onto yourself. Um, and yeah, it, you know, it, it would. The broad way of looking at it is like in my school there were metalhead kids or kids that were hip hop heads or whatever. Um, I don't think that kind of tribal signifier uh, element exists in music now that it's all available all the time. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. I mean, I, I dressed no. up like John Fogarty so D Boom would still like me because I could not hear what Stu Cook was doing on them Creedence records. Oh man, I was just talking to Doug Cosmo. Uh, oh wow, Doug ago. Clifford. Yeah. Yeah, man. 18 inch hi hats, right? 18 inch hi hats. Yeah, and we discovered I have the same drum kit that he had. He had this um, Camco. Right, right. The round, uh, round lugs. Yes. Uh, I, and I have that one. I think his is in a museum somewhere now, he said. But um, wow, what a great player. Uh, yeah. But he, he is actually re releasing or releasing some albums that he started recording 30 years ago and finally is getting around to finishing up. So we were talking about that. Wow. One time brother Steve from the Stooges sax man told me that he took uh, him and Scotty driving around town once in SoCal in Hollywood, maybe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I got to tell what people heard. They heard you doing sleeping and then now here's a title. This is brand new from a cat named Micah Levi, a plain clothed, Jimi Hendrix drives me to Newcastle for some reason. The trip will take three days, and he is going to do it for 150 pounds. He drives really smoothly and only listens to one album, which is by someone with joy in their name. I think that might be Mika Levy, right? Yeah. Micah what Levi. did I say? Levi's? Because yeah. you know I've So that's still... a female, and it's a female, too. Oh, uh, shit. Well, I fucked up in a bunch of ways. She's a great film composer as well. She did a, a film score for a, a movie called Under the Skin, which was a horror movie. And um, when they came to L.A., they did a live performance of it, and I got asked to play percussion. So that that's how I know her. But um, Okay. Well, I'm glad, because yeah, I like this record. Yeah. The uh, Disciples people floated to me, and it, it's a trippy she, record. And she is brilliant. She's she's really brilliant. She used to have a project called Mikachu that she did. And then uh, for the last, I don't know, eight or ten years or something, I think she's been primarily known as a film composer. But it's cool to hear that she's making albums again, too. You know a cat who got into film composing that's a drummer man? Cliff Martinez. That's right. Yeah, I don't know Cliff, but of course I know who he is. He never got to do – he's on the last – Captain album, uh, Captain Beefheart, but he never got to do yeah. a gig with him because the captain quit. They made a video, though. <laughs> uh, I screamed for Crow, right? Uh, then there was Argo, brand new out of Barcelona with Avanti Tutti. Uh, all ahead. Uh, Sophie Sparham and Christopher Gregory out of Derby, England, with Snow Drifted. Quiet Pig out of Italy with uh, QP. Uh, the Numbers Band, Akron. Old timers, I think the sax man is the pretender singer's brother. Uh, that's the way the railroad runs. Fifteen sixty seventy five. That's what they're called, but everybody called them the numbers band. And Harvey Gold turned me on to that. Midwestern medicine, but they're actually from Portland, uh, Maine, starboard side. Uh, brand new, ready or not, Bo 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 Bo
knife sharpener, Kim Cooper complex, which uh, uh, kind of adjunct tangent off that jerking pretty electric Jesus with crystal balls brand new from uh, Joyful Noise. Is that that label? They put out all kinds. Yeah, of it's in Cleveland, I think. Yeah, uh, and uh, a drummer and, man with them, uh, Thor, uh, Austin guy, Thor Harris, does a lot. Thor, of stuff. yes. Also, uh, your your sometimes collaborator Greg Sonnier does stuff with them, I believe. Right, who's living? Uh, I think it's Silver Lake now, right? I've run into him a couple times at shows, uh, but obviously I haven't seen him in the last year. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know, but he was in New York City for a while. I I know the yeah, band started yeah, up in the out city. Here now. Okay, yeah. yeah, I got to do a project with him. Yeah, called uh, Big Walnuts Yonder with Nels Klein and uh, Nick Reinhardt, and then finally Joe Wong with the uh, Nuclear Rainbow. So, uh, what about the shit after school with the? Because you're on the drums, you got your neighbor. Oh, you got your first kit. How'd you get your first... Where'd you practice? What were your parents like? My parents uh, let me practice in the basement. They were pretty accommodating. I, I couldn't play after maybe like uh, eight or nine o'clock when the baby went to sleep. I had a little <laughs> baby sister at the time, but... Um, or or if I really had to practice later in the night, I was allowed to play brushes. Um but yeah, I mean, it was, I, I was pretty fortunate to have very, very supportive parents, um, even though they, you know, couldn't relate to what I was doing. And especially as I got into more esoteric music, um, you know, they didn't really like the bands that I was practicing with at the house, but they allowed us to do it. <laughs> well, look, they wanted you to be your own person anyway, you know, but uh, maybe I, I think it's bitching though that they were. I think they probably mind. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, now, what about the thing, though, you, you're alluding to, like, after-school bands, right? The garage band, the basement band, the bedroom band. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you guys have – was it just practice, or, or or did you do gigs, or did you write your own material? Did you – like, me and D-Boom, yeah. we learned by copying off records and shit, stupid shit. Yeah, that's what I first started doing with this kid, Eric, that lived up the street from me. He was the only person I knew that had a guitar, so – we started playing together and he only knew a few songs like he knew uh house of the rising sun and a couple other songs and we would just loop those three songs for like three hours <laughs> and call it a day uh and then uh, a couple years later i i met some kids um who were a little older than me and were writing songs and started doing that and started playing gigs around age of 14, like DIY spaces and all ages clubs in Milwaukee, maybe some places that you would have played back in those days. Um, but I'm trying to remember, I think the first time I saw you play was at a place called the Riverside Amphitheater in Milwaukee when you were touring with uh, Primus, I believe, yeah. uh, in like 95 right. or so. And they also played but, a pad called Rave with the Beastie Boys. Yeah. A so couple, we couple blocks from like Jeffrey that. Dahmer's pad. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, at, at the rave, there was a small room in, at, that had a small bar and a smaller stage. And we would play there um, in places, you know, smaller rooms like that. Can you remember your uh, first gig? I can. It was it, it was in a place called the Camelot Inn, which is no longer there. It was a shitty motel where people would pay by the hour to do things by the hour. <laughs> and a bunch of kids got together and rented out the banquet hall, which was in a basement. And there was probably... Uh, 
six or seven bands um and it was just every genre there was like a hip-hop group a ska band the obligatory like fourth wave ska band um it's a couple kind of punk rock bands and things like that and um i can remember how nervous i felt i can remember what i ate before i had like a, a bean burrito i remember that you know back in those days you would play in these really poorly ventilated places with all the cigarette smoke oh, and yeah. And all that, yeah, I remember the feeling. Um, it's in some ways, I'd still ch- chase that dragon, <laughs> you know, just that 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 uh, full body Chasing feeling where you're scared and and elated at the same time. You know, chase that dragon and Pedro is like a heroin thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I was kind of saying that as far as like that, that initial high of playing those kind yeah, of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something about like. Uh, a black tar shit off aluminum foil. Look, after, 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 <laughs> let's not get into that. Well, this but was it, probably the musical equivalent of that, to be honest. <laughs> it was like, not primo stuff, but it was, <laughs> it was, it was enough. Now, now after high school, you continue music on an academic thing, right? Well, yeah. So, um, around the time that I was a senior in high school, I started a band that was, I had kind of morphed into being interested in what was happening with touch and go records in Chicago at the time. Um, and, and started getting to play shows down in Chicago at places like the fireside bowl. And, um, the band I was in was kind of like a mathy band, um, that was influenced by what was happening in, you know, in the kind of like third wave of discord bands like Hoover, and what was happening on Touch and Go, like Shellac and um, Don Caballero and bands like that. And anyway, um, that band was the first band I was in that got to tour. We started touring during our school breaks. And um, it felt like felt like the first real band I was in that felt more kind of aligned with what I was feeling on the inside rather than just whoever I could find to play with. Um, and so then after that, yeah, I did go... I went to music school for a couple of years uh, in Boston at, at Berkeley and um, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great match creatively, but it, I, I mean, I certainly um, felt fortunate to be there and got some, in, you know, some useful information from the experience. It wasn't a total waste of time by any means, but I didn't find anybody there to play with. You know, uh, yeah. Some people tell me the first time I heard of Berkeley, uh, the Bob Quine's card is on the Voidoids album, the first Richard Hell Blank Generation, and uh, but people tell me there there's some value in the connects that you might make, but you're saying you didn't really meet music people. No, I, yeah, maybe I was just not receptive to that at the time. But I, I you know, the the best part about it was I left my hometown and got to experience another city for a while, and that I got to d- dedicate my entire life to playing music and I would just you know practice all the time but I didn't find people that I was on the same wavelength with while I was there for some for whatever reason I found I met some people in town that I uh could vibe with but not at school and I don't know why yeah because you must have saw a lot of there's a lot of good gigs in that area look we're at the end of the first hour December 18 2020 edition Peter show special Guest Joe Wong. Hold tight for hour two. December 18, 2020. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show. 
earth, a secondary birth, and you're old and gray. Words collide like plates beneath the stone, with nothing left to own. Of day, slice the dawn of deafening despair. You're lost without a care, and you're old and gray. Thoughts collide like earth beneath the bone, with nothing left to hold. Oh. 
But then the bread started to tremble and slowly levitate. It floated up into the sky and was swallowed by a cloud.
its own grapes and leaves, man. You can never tell. To change your face and hide your trophies well. Coming down the mountain, going to your home. The village has evacuated. Now you gotta roam. Your feet could start to moan, and your eyes don't see too clear. The darkest dreams could come and shake your faith to steer.
For years you've been running my life as if I were a slave controlled by your word. Do this, do that, just started to scream.
show start off the second hour off there you just missed the big amateur hour with the philosophy thing people but uh, me and joe will save you from that <laughs> keep it amongst ourselves oh it was night creatures you know there was a great song spelled Thank a little you. different but yeah i like this one but there was also another one called night creatures on the first uh bebop deluxe one of their records this guy bill nelson he played guitar and I remember that for some oh, reason, wow. the, yeah, Night Creatures is in the chorus. So uh, I don't know what, you know, this is 70s stuff. And 
you know, the good thing about Alzheimer's, you're always hearing new tunes and meeting new people. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Sam you Bennett. Be, you can re, be reborn every hour. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Bennett with the bridge in the sky after that. Love is laugh. Oh, love is laughter. This is Sam Jane. Just R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. Just found dead. I got to tour with, well, I was helping Jay Maskus. It was 20 years ago. He's a young man. And uh, co Coconut Flakes. And the last with the, the great missing album that never came out is out now, The Other Side. Emmer with MPP and Minor from Joe Wong. I always tell the story to John, uh, John Coltrane's talking about playing with Thelonious Monk. And they're playing a, you know, a song in a minor key and no one ever hits the third. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Right? It, 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 Probably hit like the sharp nine a bunch if it was with Monk, but uh, yeah, not the third, maybe. Yeah, but the, the intention, right? I think that's what he was talking about. There's something more about playing than just playing the intervals. Um, that reminds me of like a, a, one of the more formative gigs I ever saw, which was, uh, and this was one of the great things about having a chance to live in Boston is that I got to see Elvin a couple times. Oh, he plays here. I must have seen him like 10 or 11 times here because he lived in Nagasaki, so the first gig would be here. Right. The yeah, jazz the guys the... at Pro Drum in Hollywood talk about when he, when Elvin would come to town, they would go buy him a, a six-pack of Heineken before his drum clinics back in the day. Oh, well, I would always see him at Catalina. Last time was at Jazz Bakery, but you could tell it was the tour was beginning because the jazz machine t-shirts the band was wearing had the the iron-ons were real hard and stiff you could tell it. <laughs> of course elvin didn't wear one <laughs> no i love that he made his band wear it though it was great <laughs> oh man and, and he would be laughing and smiling sometimes that gig would billy higgins would do that too i, I owe raymond pettibone so much for bringing me to see all that mr ray brown Oh, so he's the one that taught, turned you on to that stuff yeah i didn't know i grew up in navy housing man <laughs> when he played me Ascension. The first time I heard John Coltrane, I thought he was a. I thought he was older, but I thought he was a punk rocker. I know he was dead. Well, he spiritually was. Yeah. Yeah, it's a trip about that. Yeah, it was kind of like a germs gig. So, what happens after Berkeley School of Music? Well, then I w moved to a farm because I had to kind of debrief or a de. You know, I had to figure out what information I wanted to metabolize and what needed to go. And so I, I would just went to a farm in Northern Wisconsin and started playing all day long. Um, and then shortly after that, I got a call from our mutual friend, Devin Ocampo, and I briefly moved to DC and joined a band with him, um, that played about one gig and then we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of DC bands, they usually waited till the, the, the single came out and then they'd break up. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think I was still a little bit lost from music school and I couldn't like, I was too navel gazy, so it didn't work out. It's probably my fault or my issue at the time. Um, but he was before that, um, my band in high school and Devin's band Farrakhet had put out, um, a split record together. So we, we knew each other since I was a 17 or something like that. And uh, I looked up to him a lot, um, but yeah, it, it did. It just didn't work out at the time. So I briefly moved back to Milwaukee. I thought, and, and that's when I kind of inadvertently got into this career of uh, scoring films and TV shows. Inadvertently, 
Well, I wasn't um, aiming to do it, uh, but a friend, a few friends of mine had directed a, a documentary called The Yes Men, which was about these activist pranksters who would um, fool high-ranking government officials. Uh, and uh, I did the music for that, and then it kind of just turned into uh, a career, um, in, and uh, I'm still doing it uh, nearly 20 years later. Yeah, so there's something to be learned there, listeners. You know, uh, uh, accidents can be life changers. I want to play Live in Leeds. Great name for a song, Live in Leeds.
that chunk of music started with uh, Dolan Mendel and Wong doing Live at Leeds. And uh, I just got some a little background story on that. That's got Nate Mendel, who I met, uh, first Foo Fighters tour, Sunny Day Real Estate guy. Uh, Barry Burko band after that with Horns of Grunge. <laughs> what a coincidence. Double Dutch Picnic. Well, I guess Sunny Day Real Estate, they called Emo. But I always thought right. Emo was Rite of Spring. Right, or Indian Summer. Remember that? that they called that Emo, too. Yeah, or... well, Gee. Like yeah, Gee. Sensitive. I remember borrowing, and Brendan. Right, borrowing the bass, and the, there was a crack in the neck, and it was pinching my hand. It was, <laughs> it was opening it up for a HR solo band. And I remember it were down. This is the old 930, and uh, it's just me and HR. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you think of Mike Jackson? <laughs> yeah. So I wrote, a, wrote song. a song for him to sing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of because of HR. I thought if Mike Jackson sang that song, men would never have to explain yourself again. Uh, Spiral Vision <laughs> from Double Dutch Picnic. Lewis Cole, Thangs. Rhythm Plague. That's uh, Wayne Peep, uh, Nels Klein's organ friend. Surf's Up. Uh, Dose, Angel Faces, The Devil's Daughter. That's an Alley Cat song. Or featuring a, a, that was uh, featuring an Oscar Award winner, correct? Yeah. Kate, fucking uh, two Emmys and a, and a Golden Reel, which is the Pierce, wow. which is even more. Yeah. She says like hardcore, a bunch of boys running the scene. She had to break her foot off and all, all their asses. And then finally, <laughs> Joe Wong in the morning. Okay, so... When you were doing this music, this first one, the Yes Man, did yeah. you play everything? No, I was working with the guy uh, uh, named Didier Laplay at the time, and he and I partnered up on lots of the early scores that I got to work on. And so uh, I, you know, we would just kind of trade off on instruments, um, but we didn't have a budget to. Well, we did hire some horn players, but we didn't have like a budget for a big orchestra or anything like that back then. Um, but yeah, the, it was kind of like that. That score was kind of Prez Prado influenced um, uh, because uh, I think the filmmakers were listening to lots of it when they were cutting it. So that's what they requested. And that was kind of uh, that was kind of the jumping off point on that one. So we did have a couple smoke and horn players on that one. Now, yeah, now, uh, interesting, a drummer man, you know, conducting a band. I, I love this idea. Big mistake the Minutemen made was putting George Hurley in the back. That motherfucker should have been at front of the stage, right? The way I've done it the la last 20 years. Yeah, the unit flapping around. And the unit, yeah, Hitting twirling. the audience members. What do you call it? The whippoorwill. <laughs> you know, I... He still has it. He has it slicked back now. Oh, yeah. He pulled it out. He, yeah. moved, he moved back to Pedro. He's back in Pedro, 19th Street. Yeah. Love Georgie. Uh, but uh, the idea of the drummer, man, uh, uh, now you, you're, you're partnering with a guy, but you directing other musicians. That That's an interesting place. Now, but I don't really know a lot about scoring. Do you Do you watch that thing? And you make the music to cut with the, the moves? Yeah, that's ultimately what we figured out. But on the first one, we would watch it and then score it. We didn't understand that you're supposed to, or that convention would have you, you know, watch 
it and sync it up in real time. We were just watching it and then roughly timing it out or something like that. Um, but you know, we figured it out after a while, but now when I work, yes, I have, uh, I have a video monitor with uh, the cut of the film or the show going as I'm writing it. And it kind of determines the tempo of anything that I write for it. The, the way that it's cut and the way that the dialogue comes in and out is like my click track. Whoa. You know, Minuteman got to do one like soundtrack. It was a USC film student. He came, we were practicing at this time with the Sacrins and we must Jack Brewer's garage. He comes over with a sheet and a projector, he puts it up on the bulkhead, and he, it's a 17-minute or 13-minute called Hell. And he just shows it, and he tells us to jail <laughs> as we're watching it. <laughs> One shot, or maybe we got two shots. <laughs> like, you got it. Like, we didn't know what was coming next, right? We'd never seen the <laughs> fucking thing before. Yeah, it was interesting. So I, I wonder People how have you... done that. I mean, people have certainly done it that way and to success so how did how did it how did you feel about it when you were finished well you know the audio is on the ballot result minutemen last record it's, it was called hell yeah and uh got, oh, okay got it got it <laughs> i okay. don't know if you don't see the film and you're just hearing the music tangerine dream would do that right they put out albums of their soundtracks and they think they, they can stand up on their own right you don't have to Right. Have visual. Well, sometimes it should and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, the way I see it, sometimes it's like making um, sets for for stage plays, right? Where if you look up really close, it's larger brushstrokes because it has to translate to the audience and it's behind all the actors. And, and I think scoring can be like that where, where you're using larger musical brushstrokes uh, because if you're getting to... Um, minute, it will get in the way or become distracting. So it 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 kind of depends. Um, right, right. On, you got you the project. You got it. There's a responsibility. You got to aid in a bit the film. Yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. That's Absolutely. the whole gig is that you're there to facilitate someone else's. <laughs> look, me being a bass player, we know about that kind of shit. You look good. And the drummer. Yeah. Well, drummers. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That their their thing is the rhythm. I mean, that's their sacred. Oh my God, foundation. Everything. Look, we're at the end of the second hour. December 18, 2020, Dish Watt Peter Show, special guest, Joe Wong. Hold tight for hour three. December 18, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt for Peter Show. Every man has a woman. Loves him, rain or shine, If he finds her in his lifetime.
things dissolve in time. The weight of will slowly diminishes, and fear subsides. All things dissolve. from Peter Show. We start off the third hour with uh, Joe Wong featuring Mary Timney. What was that band she had with uh, Helium? Yeah, Helium. He, he had, What was his name? Ash. He had a band called Povo. Povo, yes. Yeah. Some kind of dog disease mange. Anyway, this is Joe <laughs> Wong featuring Mary Timney with Every Man as a Woman Who Loves Him. And Mary's incredible. Uh, she does a lot of collabs with different people and stuff. Another, yeah, she produced my record. Oh, really? Great. Yeah. Another umbrella after that with late great Richard Derrick, Runaway Train, uh, Elmo and the Sticks with Skin, Trigger Cut, The Miners Are Back, Dynamite for Partisans from I'm a Snake, Ayo Kigahara from Simon Waldem, and, or it should be Ao Kigahara, fuck, Ao I think is blue, right? From, from the farthest shore from uh, Ecole de Ciel, uh, school. School of Seals. <laughs> Joe Wong, <laughs> Dreams Wash Away. What about this album? We should talk about this album that you're, you're putting out. Yeah, it's the first record I've ever made as a um, 
solo artist or as a vocalist, really, as a lead vocalist and primary songwriter. I've always been in bands before that or a composer facilitating someone else. So this was like my first statement of my own. And um, like I said, Mary Timoney produced it. And I met her again, bringing up our old pal, Devin Ocampo, because Devin and Mary had a, a duo together at one point. And then um, I subbed for him on a tour maybe about 15 years ago when Mary and I became fast friends and she became like a, an older sister figure to me. Um, so she was the perfect person um, to produce this and, and hold me accountable because I was, I was scared to make it. Who, <laughs> it who's, was, who's the woman voice singing with you? Mary. Yeah. Really good. Jesus. Really good. Yeah. She's, she's, she's a brilliant She's, she's, uh, she's so brilliant in, in so many different ways. But um, the thing that I find most inspiring about her is she's very nonchalant, but she just continues putting out great music uh, every year. Like something new comes out and I don't even know how she does it, but it happens. It's almost effortless. Huh? That's what I get the sense of like, it just, it, it just emanates out of her. She don't have to. It's certainly, I mean, it, if you were to talk to her, she would say it's anything but effortless, but it <laughs> certainly appears so from the outside, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just some people are like that. They it just come, rolls right off the back, it seems. And and, and speaking you... of Discord Records, I don't know if you remember her band on Discord, but she had a band in the 80s called Autoclave on Discord that uh, I think just got reissued. No, I didn't. I know she made a, with one of the Slater Kinney's, she made a collab. Yeah, that was Wild Flag. Yeah. Um, no, was, no, no. Before that, was, that, before that. Oh, The Spells. That was That's The Spells okay, with okay. Carrie. Yeah. 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 No, she's just happy. And Ash was the bass man when I saw Helium. Right. And then he was the guitarist in Polvo, I think. Right. Yeah. Kind of leader. And the band was trippy. They were kind of like jock guys. <laughs> Yeah, it was like a, it was like that um, same kind of scene that like uh, the Kentucky thing that Slint was part of and, and all that. I think um, <laughs> it's trippy the way that things work out like that. Oh, now where did you record this? We recorded the rhythm section um, parts. So that was just me and Mary. She she played lots of the guitar. I played some of it, but then I played the bass and drums and and keyboards out in um, Joshua Tree at a place called Gatto's Trails, um, which is a great studio out there. And then the strings and horns were done at Henson, which was formerly, uh, you know, A&M and formerly before that Chaplin Studios over in Hollywood in the uh, room where they did We Are the World <laughs> back in the 80s. <laughs> and the trippiest part about that session was coincidentally, as I was uh, recording the strings, someone tapped me on my back and I turned around and it was none other than Cat Stevens standing behind me. He was just visiting the old studio. Whoa. And, um, I had to, I had to tell everybody to take five because I was, I was, I was, I was actually starstruck. He was, he was one of the people that my parents listened to when I was a kid. So I feel like he's, his music is embedded in my DNA. Yeah. Down and, 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 and Cat oh. Stevens or Yusef. Yusef right? Islam. Yeah. 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 He, the voice. There's only one voice like that. It's it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Here I want to play something from your past, Parts and Labor, Constant Future. Okay.
For instance, their lack of the historical sense, their hatred even of the idea of becoming their Egyptianism. They imagine that they do honor to a thing by divorcing it from history, subspecie eterni, when they make a mummy of it. All the ideas that philosophers have treated for thousands of years have been mummied concepts. Nothing real has ever come out of their hands alive. These idolaters of concepts merely kill and stuff things when they worship. They threaten the life of everything they adore. Ladies and gentlemen, Death, please take your change, age, Shit, as well as procreation and growth. The piano. Are there
Out on return with conservative ideas, politically radical ideas. This is a revolutionary identity. Patsyala Baruho, the lead space shuttle space shuttle. 
that the spirit of the Egyptians presented itself to their consciousness in the form of a problem is evident from the celebrated inscription in the sanctuary of the goddess.
left my home in the San Francisco Bay, trying to follow a hunch, trying to fall in love. I took a drive up along that Pacific Coast Highway, just headed northward. Bodega Bay When I arrived I took a boat Across the bay To surprise my love Trying to follow a hunch And when in Rome Do as the Romans As they say Way up here in Bodega Bay. When the heavens opened up, I held your hand and had to tuck your head into your chest. The way that you caressed me made me know we'd be okay. We'd find a way to get away from Bodega Bay. Go back to San Francisco. Take me away from Bodega Bay Honey, I just want to ride your bones tonight But if we don't leave soon, we may never see the morning light again I didn't plan on coming here to stay So won't you take me away from Bodega Bay Baby, won't you take me away from Bodega, baby? Won't you take me away from Bodega, baby? Won't you take me away, take me way down south to Los Angeles? Won't you visit me way out in Joshua Tree in the holiest April of 2014? Gaggle of angels keeps descending on me.
Jones. Don't worry, Joe. I, don't, I won't consider you a shirker. Okay, people, that's <laughs> Constant Future, Parts and Labor. Thereabouts, music with my insane friend. Well, I should tell people, the band is music with my insane friend, and the tune is thereabouts. Mint Douche after that. Uh, the River Cigar. South London. Elliot Elderman. No, Idleman. Don't fuck it up, boy. Bodega Bay. And finally, Always Alone, Joe Wong. Joe, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me. My my handle is at the trap set, or they can find me on uh, Joe Wong, or actually Night Creatures with uh, the spelling N I T E Creatures dot com or Joe Wong dot org. It's not dot net. Uh, no, it's dot org because okay. I'm nothing but an organization okay. of, of cells and ideas. Because <laughs> I, I thought I saw the site on the web and I knew it wasn't dot com. So. Okay, so people go there, and from there, there's probably links to all the other telephone poles. All that stuff. Yeah, or if you want to hear my show with with George Georgie Hurley, was one of our early guests. That's the no, Joe. Joe, please tell people about this. Because Joe's got his own show. People, it ain't just what. It's a it's a show that's uh, it it started off um, as a show exploring the lives of drummers for the first two hundred of them, and and it ranges from everybody from Brendan Canty to Tony Allen, to Jim Keltner, to Georgie Hurley, to uh, Rat Scabies, uh, to Sly Dunbar, Clyde Stubblefield, Jebo Starks, Clyde Bernard Stubblefield. Purdy. Jim yeah. Keltner. Jim, Ke- I got to record with him, man. What a fucking... Oh, what man. a class act. Yeah. Fucking bitch. I was shaking. Passing like his own Jim Keltner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just something about it. And Clyde Stubblefield, that's, that's Madison. That's close to where you grew up. Right. Yeah, and you know some of these guys that I mentioned have subsequently passed. Yeah, yeah. Um, we lost them a couple of years ago. Jabo too, we lost a couple That's of years right. ago. At, That's right. And Tony Allen too was that Tony just Allen. this year? I, but he had a long ass. Now I think I think Clyde was like doing every Monday night there. At a place called the King Club in Madison. That's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, so that was like a way of me. <laughs> Processing my neuroses with my heroes. <laughs> Give people that you are was on. Yeah, I mean, I, it was it, it was every living drummer that I had access to that that was a hero to me. I got to speak to, which was a trip. Give the people the URL so they can visit. That's that's the trapset.net, or it's also available on any. That's what it is. Platform. That one is the yeah. net one. <laughs> yeah, T-H-E- I've got too many websites. T h e t r a p s e t dot net people. Which is which is an antiquated term for the drum set or the contraption, as it was called back in the book. Right, because it, uh, I think in New Orleans, right. They're really the so. trap set is only like a hundred years old or something, hundred and twenty years old. Yeah, it's it's just, it's a relatively modern instrument is for especially given the immense influence it's had and the ways it's evolved. I mean, I still actually think of a drum machine as a as a drum set in a way. You know, it's based on that. Sure. So. Sure. Uh, man, I really like what you're doing, Joe. When you get new stuff coming, will you come back on the show and we can talk about it? Oh, it would be an honor. And I have to say, you know, your body of work is uh, part of my musical DNA and I feel indebted to you. And it's it's certainly uh, been wonderful to talk to you. I appreciate you having me on. 
Whoa. If you ever need any bass for free, I'll give it to you. <laughs> People, it's been December. All right, I'll hold you to that. Okay. I promise. Because, yeah. I, People like you doing what you do, I think fucking scene needs it. Thank you. People, December 18, 2020 edition of Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.